Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for this special edition podcast on COVID-19. This podcast provides an opportunity to listen as we share the latest on COVID-19 with our resident experts. My name is Andrew Vandermoss. I'm a current PGY2 Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership Resident at the Cleveland Clinic, and I will be your host for today's special edition podcast on COVID-19. Today, we will be chatting with Tyler Fishback, who is the Clinical Manager at Confluence Health in Washington, Long Trin, who is the Regional Director of Pharmacy Operations and Compliance at Oregon Providence Health and Services, and John Melly, who is the Director of Procurement and Logistics at the Cleveland Clinic. Today's podcast is titled COVID-19 Vaccine Handling and Distribution If We Thought Masking Was a Challenge, which will provide listeners important considerations regarding the handling and distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's get started talking about today's topic, COVID-19 Vaccine Handling and Distribution. Considering our knowledge about the vaccine was at times limited during its development, how did your health system remain agile when information became available and changed very frequently? John, let's start with you. Thanks, Andrew. As most health systems had experienced during the initial phases and throughout the course of the COVID-19 pandemic, our organization had run through an incredibly intensive process related to surge planning and standing up COVID-19 patient testing sites. There was no validated playbook for global pandemic planning and the pace of incoming information was significant. This required that our leadership adopt a standardized committee structure for quick decision-making as well as execution. We had to very quickly become comfortable altering our plans from yesterday that may now be obsolete today based on new information. That approach was no different from our strategy related to COVID-19 vaccination planning. An executive steering committee was immediately formed as well as multiple subcommittees that included leads from each department that would be essential to the success of the rollout. Specific to pharmacy, our pharmacy supply chain and clinical teams were key members for the vaccination planning and implementation. This included sharing information related to vaccine handling and distribution, as well as engaging with leaders at the state level for allocation planning. Our infectious disease pharmacists were relied upon to review the most updated vaccine science and CDC slash ACIP recommendations that were necessary to build out our vaccination strategy. One extremely unique challenge was the storage requirements for Pfizer vaccines at ultra low temperatures. Our pharmacy procurement teams were well-versed on handling temperature sensitive products. However, the Pfizer vaccine required a crash course in thermodynamics to develop sound processes for appropriate handling, storage, and distribution of this product. I recall an early conversation with our pharmacy supply chain contracting director that the Pfizer product would likely need to be stored at negative 80C and thinking, I'll believe that when I see it. The lack of belief quickly became a reality as more information became available from Pfizer regarding the vaccine storage requirements. Fast forward about three months from that initial conversation and we were building out our centralized vaccine storage location and receiving our ultra low freezers equipped with continuous monitoring devices. Lastly, I have to recognize the adaptability of the teams that were responsible for vaccine distribution and administration. 
Both mRNA vaccine products have tight restrictions on maintenance of the cold chain process from the time the vaccine is received to the time the vaccine is administered into the patient's arm. Our team performed multiple practice runs to test workflows to ensure minimal exposure to room temperature as product was transferred from the thermal shipping containers into the freezer or as product was removed to be thawed prior to administration. Clinical and logistic information about the vaccine products was not released until three to five days prior to vaccine receipt. So hands-on education and clearly defined processes were key to success. How about the experience at your health system, Long? Hey, John, I think very similar to Cleveland, being comfortable with change and being agile has never been more tested uh, than at this time. The unique temperature requirements of the COVID-19 vaccine has created significant supply chain and logistics opportunities for health system leaders. And this has been further compounded by the unconstrained demand of the population for this very limited resource. Early on, our health system started microplanning and designed systems, processes, and structures in place based on the information available at that time. And as information rapidly developed, we were able to remain agile by leveraging the support of project managers and process engineers to help us run simulations to ensure that the processes that we design are consistent with our guiding principles, which are to be sustainable, adherent to regulatory requirements, operationally efficient, clinically effective, and safe. Additionally, lean principles, just-in-time, first-in, first-out method, as well as daily management systems and huddles were also leveraged to support incremental, continuous quality improvement opportunities. Tyler, what, what about you? First of all, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's a pleasure to be a part of this. Um, this is not my normal job uh, to be doing this vaccine business, and it has been exciting work, and everything you guys have said is true. We know that information is changing on a daily basis, and I think one of the important things to do with the team you're working with is to set clear expectations that information is going to change. We really needed to be transparent about that and learn how to work with it. One thing that, that I saw, too, as being really important is how are you getting information that you're going to use in your operation? I think, you know, I was joking that if I were to have accepted every single webinar that was offered to me on COVID-19 vaccination, I would be about four deep every hour for my whole work week. And so you need to, you know, learn who are the trusted sources that within your state and, and even nationally with ASHP and others that are going to be your, your tried and true sources of information because sometimes too much information can be a bad thing, especially when you need to work quickly and be very flexible and nimble with that information changing. And so also here at, at uh, Confluence Health, which is a rural integrated health system in north central Washington, you know, we have probably a smaller team than you guys have. And I think in some ways, maybe that's uh, to our benefit because you really need to have a small group of decision makers. And what we found successful is just the, the meeting frequency. This needs to be daily touch points, if not multiple times a day to have the stakeholders rallied um, so that we can make decisions, move forward and be flexible and nimble. So that's what we've done here. Thanks, Tyler. Great point. So it really sounds like the development of an early planning committee and increased communication amongst those closest to the COVID-19 vaccine updates were vital to ensuring each of your organizations had the ability to adapt and react appropriately. Moving on to our next question, 
Considering local health jurisdictions and their resource limitations, how was the hub and spoke model used for healthcare systems and hospitals? Tyler, what did your health system do? Well, we knew that the health system was going to be relied upon heavily to make this effort go. Local health jurisdictions, we felt maybe a little bit under-resourced to really make a, such a big lift here that was going to be asked. And so we were just preparing ourselves to be the leaders in our community with this effort. In our region, we cover 12,000 square miles of territory in North Central Washington. And so it's a large area. What we found is that we had a lot of great partners step up. Critical access hospitals that aren't part of our health system were offering to vaccinate our employees from clinics that were in within their geographic region. So we really worked as a, a region to take care of one another, especially in that phase 1A, to make sure that everybody's getting vaccinated that was eligible. That was really key. And that allowed us to focus our efforts on our Wenatchee operations. And we really kept it centralized here so that we have not had to use a hub and spoke model yet. Our largest operation is run at our largest hospital. And then in those other geographic regions, we've relied on other health systems and we'll move towards trying to get those remote sites and clinics vaccine directly when the time comes. Cause we know that it can be a challenge to transfer vaccine, especially over, you know, north of a hundred miles to these other sites. We prefer that that vaccine actually gets shipped directly to them to help us be successful. But I know that's a lot different than the models that Long and John can speak to. So I'm, I'm eager to hear from you guys. You know, what did, what did your large health systems do with this? Thanks, Tyler. And I can definitely share our strategy at Cleveland Clinic, which was geared toward the hub and spoke distribution model. The vaccine storage was centralized at our main campus and several regional inoculation sites were designated based on geography across our service area to best support the phase 1A vaccination effort. With the support of our executive steering committee and tremendous collaboration with content experts in our various subcommittees, we were able to construct a secured location for a number of ultra-low freezers in what we affectionately called the freezer farm. There was some reluctance from our local health jurisdictions about successfully operating this logistically challenging vaccine rollout in the hub and spoke model. Our executive team was able to leverage our relationship with the state jurisdictional leaders to demonstrate our proven record of the success within the hub and spoke model since our main campus pharmacy team handles medication procurement and distribution to over 250 clinics throughout Northeast Ohio. Now that being said, our pharmacy procurement team had some homework on developing processes for how to best pack these vaccines to distribute from main campus to the regional inoculation sites under the appropriate temperature conditions. Luckily, our specialty pharmacy counterpart had substantial knowledge within this space due to requirements for maintaining URAC accreditation and facilitated communication with vendors that had expertise for highly reliable processes for shipping products under tight temperature restrictions. Again, we came to learn some new terminology within the industry standards for shipments of temperature sensitive products. I certainly did not ever envision that I would be having a 30-minute conversation regarding phase change material if you came to me early in my pharmacy career. However, our vendor contact was extremely helpful to provide advice related to our temperature monitoring strategy. If operating within the centralized distribution model, then you must make a decision on whether to ship the vaccine in the frozen or thawed state. 
In either situation, we felt strongly that continuous temperature monitoring was critical. We were able to move forward with a solution that continuously monitors our shipments with small devices about the size of a Tic Tac container and operated via Bluetooth through an app on a smartphone. This solution allows for detailed reports that outline the temperature range in five-minute intervals during the course of transportation to our regional inoculation sites. How about the strategy at Providence, Long? Thanks, John. For Providence hospitals across the region, we partnered to verify we had vaccination locations strategically positioned for those who are eligible to receive vaccinations, including our rural communities. Our primary goal is to ensure that the scarce essential vaccines are distributed to the point of dispensing at the right time to be administered to the right patients. As a result, depending on the unique temperature storage conditions and shelf life of the vaccine, one location may utilize that hub and spoke model, whereas the other vaccine, let's say with the Moderna, we may choose to have it shipped directly to the pharmacy at that point of dispensing location. The benefits of a pod location for in a rural setting is that it provides access points for the community. The greatest challenges are the geographic distance of that rural pod locations from the other hospitals within the health system. As a result, select hospitals or select rural hospitals within the Providence Health System were also set up to be hub locations to receive the vaccine directly. So as a result, additional resources were invested to ensure cold chain integrity, such as that ultra low freezers were purchased and to make sure that we were strategically prepared to dispense and administer a vaccine as soon as possible in that rural setting. Thanks a lot. It definitely seems like each of your health systems encountered very unique challenges regarding distribution to some of your rural areas. But I'm glad to hear that you were able to successfully utilize the hub and spoke model to deliver vaccines to the appropriate sites. Shifting slightly to personnel considerations, how were your health systems vaccination pods staffed and what was the role of pharmacy in the effort? John? Thanks, Andrew. And this was another example where lessons learned from our efforts operating in a world post-COVID-19 served us well regarding our strategy for staffing our vaccine inoculation sites. Our annual employee health flu vaccination campaign, a huge undertaking in normal times, required a complete revamp. In years prior, influenza vaccine was distributed widely throughout our health system so that local occupational health teams could offer walk-up vaccine administration to caregivers at kiosks in high-traffic areas of our hospitals and ambulatory clinics. We quickly realized our normal processes would not meet social distancing requirements due to the potential for long lines and congregation in confined indoor spaces. Our solution was to stand up a walk-in influenza vaccination tent at main campus as the primary hub for caregiver vaccinations during the initial kickoff. This tent was staffed by occupational health nurses with a throughput of over 1,000 vaccine administrations per day. A centralized vaccine location also allowed for enhanced coordination between pharmacy and supply chain and employee health for vaccine delivery. This tent proved to be extremely successful to maximize our ability to vaccinate a large volume of caregivers while at the same time maintaining safe practices in terms of social distancing. These lessons translated well in terms of our strategy for the COVID-19 vaccination planning. Similar to our influenza vaccine campaign, we opted to identify specific inoculation locations geographically spread throughout Northeast Ohio for convenience of our caregivers. 
However, due to concerns for crowding, inventory control, and short beyond use dating of open vials, we had to pivot away from a walk-in clinic to a scheduled clinic. Our multidisciplinary committee leveraged the electronic health record patient portal application for appointment scheduling. Caregivers were sent email invitations to schedule appointments through our EHR's patient portal app, which included dates to receive their booster dose. Pharmacy was an integral piece of the multidisciplinary team planning our seven caregiver inoculation locations. As the vaccine product experts, our input was instrumental in identifying the best workflows to ensure product viability and minimize waste. Our team was responsible for developing education materials for storage, handling, and administration of the vaccines for every employee in the handling process, pharmacy supply chain, nursing, security, and transport. It was key that anyone involved with vaccine understood the differences in the specific handling requirements between the Pfizer and Moderna products, maintaining appropriate cold chain, understanding how to appropriately prepare doses based on the products, such as reconstitution, volume of dose, et cetera, and also how to appropriately label syringes with lot number, expiration date, and expiration time. Our pharmacy caregivers also contributed to vaccination efforts through vaccine administration. Our community-based pharmacists and hospital pharmacy interns have supported efforts at our main campus site so that the remaining administration workforce, such as the occupational health nurses and volunteered retired nursing staff could be deployed to regional inoculation sites. What about the role of pharmacy at your health system, Long? Thanks, John. I think very similar to the group. Um, at the vaccination clinics, we do have greeters to greet the patients. And then we, of course, have um, a shift designated for vaccine preparations, uh, vaccinations, and whatnot. A pharmacy play a very integral role in the COVID-19 immunization efforts as, as, either, as either operational or clinical leads. And at the point of dispensing location to make sure we have sustainable staffing, our pharmacists as well as our pharmacy residents do support the vaccination role and our pharmacy technicians support the vaccine preparation. Tyler, what about for you? Well, our pharmacy was uh, really instrumental in creating the whole process and workflow for the patients that are coming into our uh, vaccine clinic space. And so, you know, we've had roles in creating the intake form, what kind of screening questions we need to ask that help ensure that uh, we are being as safe as possible and excluding people that shouldn't receive the vaccine. So I've had um, my workforce, and that could consist of pharmacy interns, um, pharmacy technicians, uh, our pharmacy residents have played a large role in this in, in roles such as the, the screening and intake, as well as even into registration. But of course, our expertise is really in that area of um, using the vaccine, and that is the storage and handling of it, the movement of the vaccine around the facility, preparing for the day's clinic by taking the drug out of the ultra cold and moving it into our fridge, ensuring that every last dose is going to get used. And as you touched on, really the, the preparation and the labeling of those to make sure that all those things are in place. We actually design a process too where we're um, the label that we created is what we pull off the syringe and place right on the vaccination card um, so that it is captured right there exactly what the patient got. You know, we have designed a process where we are 
using Moderna as color coded. So we took those COVID vaccine cards and we printed them out again with our print shop all in green so that for anybody that's coming to our system, there's really a nice color coded designation of what shot you got, therefore what shot you need to come back for and another safety um, layer on all this, which we know is, is gonna be um, very confusing and, and problematic with multiple vaccines on the market. And so, yeah, we've just had a lot of interplay, a lot of work with our nursing departments, especially, and the technology side of thing, our IT colleagues to make this flow really well and allow us to, to reg the people quickly as well as get them scheduled for their second dose during that observation period. And it's just been great teamwork between the pharmacy and these other departments. Yeah, it's a, a great example, Tyler. And it sounds like pharmacy has been overall just really heavily involved in the vaccine handling and administration processes from the start. So really great to see so many pharmacy caregivers providing this valuable service to our population. Moving to our next question, given that we know the vaccine is a two-dose series, what were some initial concerns regarding the second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine? And how has your health system planned to manage those concerns? Tyler, what are your thoughts? Well, I guess, you know, the greatest concern was, you know, do we need to hold back second doses? How is that second dose system going to work? Do we trust it? And how well is it going to work? And I think we're even now just beginning to kind of understand some of the complications in that system. One of the things that I think was not perfectly clear was who is ultimately responsible for holding back second dose? Is that the role of the federal government? Is that the role of the state or is that the role of the local um, health system or point of distribution? And because that wasn't necessarily clear, I do think you get into a position where if everybody is being a little conservative and holding back some, um, then it constricts the supply chain. And I actually think we've seen some of that over the, the initial rollout with COVID-19. And so that's, I think, what, what I see as one of, being one of the biggest concerns that we're still facing is how do we manage the second dose? And we know that we're operating in an area that doesn't feel comfortable as pharmacists. We like to have a little reserve. We like to know we have some buffer that we're going to be able to take care of these patients. And in our state, um, we've been told we really need to operate with very, very thin supply, distribute everything you get as first doses, and really don't leave any remainder in your freezer. And so that makes us feel a little uncomfortable and it makes you put a lot of trust in the layer above you that you're going to get be sent those second doses as we promised. So yeah, it's challenging, it's kind of scary and there's a lot of trust involved with this. Yeah, great. Thank you, Tyler. John, what about you? Yep, thanks, Andrew. So the collaboration between leaders at the state level and healthcare institutions has really been key to managing concerns related to second doses. The Ohio Department of Health has been a great partner in sharing information related to the vaccine rollout and really being transparent about challenges that are experienced. As we have gone further into the COVID-19 vaccination campaign, our concerns are related more toward the quantities of the vaccine that are incoming to our health system. We feel strongly positioned to increase our capacity of vaccinations and have been challenged by the amount of product being allocated to our health system to accomplish our targets. A recent letter from the American Hospital Association calls on the Department of Health and Human Services to initiate leadership actions to expedite the administration of COVID-19 vaccines. Our goal is to really accomplish phase 1A and be prepared to support vaccinations within our community in subsequent phases. This letter puts this vaccination effort in some pretty clear terms by stating 
If there are 328 million people in America and the desired level of herd immunity, according to Dr. Fauci, is to have at least 75% vaccinated by the end of May, that would mean that all of us need to combine efforts to ensure that 246 million people are vaccinated. That would mean vaccinating 1.8 million individuals every day between January 15th and May 31st, including weekends and holidays. This is a tremendous task to accomplish and will make for quite a busy 2021. We are confident that health systems will meet this challenge and we are continued to collaborate with our leaders at the federal and state levels. Wow. Well, John, it definitely sounds like 2021 will continue to be busy for pharmacy and probably healthcare in general. Uh, as you stated, 246 million Americans expected to receive a vaccine by May. That said, it's good to hear that each of your health systems is monitoring the supply of the vaccine with a close eye, as I'm sure this will continue to be an important development in the coming months. As a follow-up to the previous question regarding supply, how did you accommodate individuals that may have been hesitant to receive the vaccine in your distribution planning efforts? And what future considerations will be important when those individuals are ready to receive it? You know, we really wanted to get some quick, easy wins under our books. So, while we were trying to build flexibility, especially within our own health system, to allow some people that maybe weren't early adopters and getting the vaccine right away, we wanted to get the quick, easy wins to get some momentum going so that even within departments in our hospital, people could see that people are being vaccinated, it's safe, um, it's working, and, and allow them some space to come in. And so we tried to, again, build that flexibility in there. Now, I do know moving forward is if we move into these larger groups of the population with 65 and up, I think building some of that flexibility in there is going to be challenging. We really encouraged our team as we knew we were going to make that transition into B1 to say, you better come get your first dose now because while the line is short right now, I can't promise the line is going to be short again in two weeks. And so you're also trying to nudge people to really take the opportunity while it's in front of them. John, at Cleveland Clinic, what does it look like for you to build in uh, some of that flexibility or you know, how are you handling these people on the continuum of vaccine hesitancy? Yep, thanks Tyler and very much agree with those thoughts. At Cleveland Clinic, a main emphasis throughout the course of the COVID-19 vaccine planning was really just a consistent and transparent message from the leadership team. The frequency of the executive and sub-steering committees allowed each department to share concerns being received from their staff. Our healthcare teams have been trained to prioritize evidence-based medicine and careful considerations were made on how we roll out the COVID-19 vaccination campaign. We understood that some may be hesitant to receive the vaccine and incorporate projections into our planning. Yeah, and that makes sense, John. It seems that it was really important that each of your organizations developed a plan and really tried to provide clear direction with regard to individuals that may be next in line to receive the vaccine. To wrap up our discussion, I want to turn to Tyler for this last question. What considerations have been made regarding the regulatory environment, both at a state and national level, to accommodate the COVID-19 vaccination effort? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I guess I'd say that you can't vaccinate millions of Americans without making some concessions um, in the regulatory world to allow that to happen. We've seen things like pharmacy technicians being allowed to vaccinate 
And I know that at the state level, they've had to change a number of rules in order to allow our retail pharmacy partners to store vaccine in locations that aren't historically allowed, that allow them to get into long care facilities and vaccinate those folks in there. And I just want to make a huge shout out to the retail pharmacy partners in our profession who have been turned to to be doing a big lift here by making the vaccination happen in these long-term care facilities. That takes a huge amount off our plate as health systems with them uh, taking on that responsibility. We know that's different than than the regulatory world they normally work within. So I just want to thank them for doing that. You know, what we're looking at scaling up is, you know, how are we able to employ volunteers? And, you know, that's under, I think, normal regulatory pathways, but that's something I imagine everybody's going to have to be doing and looking at is, you know, how do we bring in people that aren't our traditional employees in order to scale up this effort to reach every American that needs a vaccine? Yeah, thanks, Tyler. You know, it sounds like the regulatory environment has been and will probably continue to be very important to observe as we continue to manage this COVID-19 pandemic. So I just want to thank everyone for this great conversation today. Before we close, I want to share some of the resources ASHP has developed and ways that ASHP is working to help their members manage the outbreak. First, be sure to check out ASHP's COVID-19 Resource Center, found at ashp.org, which serves as a clearinghouse for more information on COVID-19 for pharmacy leaders, clinicians, and resources for patients. Second, ASHP has developed policy recommendations for policymakers. Ask your legislators to support ASHP's COVID-19 recommendations. Send an email using online advocacy center, advocate.ashp.org. And third, the Be Kind to Your Mind Headspace is now the exclusive meditation and mindfulness app for ASHP members. With Headspace, you can learn the life-changing skills of meditation and mindfulness in just a few minutes a day. Studies show that meditation helps reduce stress and burnout in health professionals, while boosting happiness, compassion, resilience, and overall life satisfaction. Search Headspace on ashp.org for more information on how to redeem this member benefit. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank John, Long, and Tyler for joining us today to discuss COVID-19 and ASHP's efforts to provide pharmacists with the most up-to-date lessons learned and resources regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. Be sure to subscribe to ASHP's podcast as we'll be posting more information on lessons learned, practice, and therapeutic management of COVID-19. I'm Andrew Vandermoss, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.